I was, yeah, great. Please. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit. Call on your presence, Lord. Thank you for being here with us. We pray in thanksgiving for your son, Father Jacob. Thank you for his life, his yes, his many yeses to you. We just ask for um, your Holy Spirit to be poured out afresh into his heart this day, Lord. Give him joy and peace, um, your consolation, and Lord, we just ask for every blessing for our brother. Um, we ask that your spirit be with us this evening. Would we have open ears, open hearts to hear what you want to speak, to know your voice this evening. And we just give all this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Youngest priest of the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, so I just have a lot of experience in this. <laughs> Two whole years of promised celibacy, approaching my third. So this is, uh, yeah, my wise experience. So I'm just going to stay up in the clouds, and then you do with this what you will. No, I'll try to, from my, from my limited experience, but always to pray for perseverance in the gift that has been given. Um, what a beautiful prayer. Thank you. And I was just struck to pray as, as you asked to, uh, to bless your son, Father Jacob. And what, a, what an interesting dynamic, the priest um, and all those called to spiritual fruitfulness, like mothers of orders, and to, to be a son and a father. And of course, this is our vocation at large, but I was just struck by that. And I wanted to begin this talk, though, with one of the most beautiful masses I have ever been to. Um, it was uh, May 24th, 2019. And I, for the summer, um, as part of my seminary formation, I had the chance to go to D.C. to study Greek, but also to serve with the missionaries of charity. And before I really got to know them, they said, oh, Brother Jacob, they call all seminarians brothers, Brother Jacob, um, you must come to our vows. Three of our sisters are making their solemn profession. And it was in the crypt of the basilica. So the basilica is so massive in the crypt. It's kind of, it's, it's large, but it's very intimate. And for their choir, they didn't have the big cathedral, um, basilica choir. They just had some sisters singing in the crypt these simple, simple hymns, but with all of their heart. And so beautiful to see the, the mother of their order come and these sisters to profess, to <coughs> vow their lives to God in the hands of their mother. They promised poverty, chastity, virginity, and obedience. And they come so simply. I think there is a height maximum for the missionaries of charity. Um, it, was, it makes it, I mean, I'm just trying to paint the picture. Eliminate that from this recording. The, but they, they come up, make this simple pro profession, no fanfare, simple. I, I, I vow this. Lay down their lives. But then what struck me, and part of the beauty, which was kind of the crowning point, of course, the Eucharist is always the crowning point, 
But at the offertory procession, the servers go back and like normal, they're accompanying the gifts. But then I see, oh, look, the three sisters are with them. And in their hands, they each brought up a singular host in their hands that they carried to be placed on the priest's patent on the altar. What's going on? And Oh, that's the symbol of the li- their lives that they're offering to Jesus to become that Eucharistic sacrifice. And they did it with such simplicity. Like if, if no one, if I was looking down, I wouldn't have seen. But in that, that quiet, that simplicity, they said, Jesus, here, take me and transform me. And so tonight, I wanted to focus on, well, in a certain sense, the universal call to holiness that we all face, but obviously in the specific form that it takes in those called to celibacy, virginity, uh, consecrating their entire lives, their bodies to the Lord. But the way in which these sisters, these missionaries of charity, promised poverty, chastity, and obedience, poverty, virginity, and obedience, I think, gives a helpful framework with which how we can see our vocation. The, all of us, every single person, is called to offer your entire life to God. Everyone is called to offer your entire life to God. Jesus, he, he is a jealous lover who wants all. I want everything. And I... This is the law of the love. When we're in love, we want to give all to the beloved. And Jesus is in love with us, and he asks nothing less than everything. When does this happen? When do we give everything to Jesus? Actually, at baptism, he already got you. <laughs> this beautiful mass that I experienced, these sisters didn't get a new sacrament. They didn't receive any special any anointing. All they did was make these promises, make these vows. It wasn't a new sacrament because what they were doing in a radical way was sealing their baptism in this particular instantiation of the form of their life, of their life state, their life form. They were simply living at its most radical depths the baptismal reality which we already received, and that is When that person baptized you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, the life of God was poured into you, and Jesus claimed, you are mine, and I am yours. And they live this reality in a specific way. But Jesus already has all of us. He's already got all of us. And so the question for discerning our vocations, discerning our life state, our state of life, our life form, whatever way you wish to describe it, is, Jesus, you have me. Now, what would you like me to do? How can I give myself to you? And these three promises that these sisters make, poverty, chastity, virginity, and obedience, correspond, they kind of They've taken different forms, the monastic vows, throughout the centuries. I would love to give you that talk about the history. (laughs) But in the Middle Ages, it basically becomes settled because they 
the saints and the scholars say that they're basically three essential realms of goods that we have. We have external goods. We have bodily goods. And we have spiritual goods. And corresponding to these three, my external goods, poverty, give them to Jesus. My bodily goods, virginity, chastity, celibacy, I give them to Jesus. And spiritual goods, obedience. This is the life of the councils. This is the life to which we are all called. All of this has been claimed by Jesus in your baptism. Then we ask Jesus, when we discern our vocation, how do you want me to give these to you? Not whether I have to give these to you, but how do you want me to forgive these to you? Oh, I don't think I'm called to religious life or the priesthood. I don't think I'm called to poverty because I want to keep a little bit for my own. No, no. We're not living our baptisms at that point. To live our baptism, Jesus, you have it all. And then when we discern our vocation, Jesus, what may I give you? How may I give it to you? The lover doesn't ask what I have to do, but what, I, what may I do? The law of love is to give oneself totally. Jesus, our beloved, has already done that for us given us everything. And in baptism, he claimed you. You are mine. But he has also put in your soul, in your body, soul, person, instantiation, a specific call, a way in which you, through a pattern way of life, that you can give yourself to him. This pattern way of life is a way in which we can live our baptisms, a way in which we can live the evangelical counsels. Poverty, chastity, obedience. Everyone is called to this in spirit, but we are called to live it in different ways. This is perhaps best summed up in that line from Romans. I'm not even going to read it because everyone knows this line. Therefore, brethren... I appeal to you by the mercies of God to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This reality of giving all to God and then asking God, what may I give you? What form of life do you want me to take? Because the, lo- the law of love takes has two different parts. It wants, well, really one, love wants to give all. And because love wants to give all, it must take the form of a vow. Because in giving all, it even gives its future. Love gives all, even giving the future. And so in order for it to be sealed, it takes the form of a vow. So tonight, I'm talking to you about the specific way in which the Lord has invited me, might be inviting some of you, for your life to take the form of a vow of giving your entire body to God. To Him in a direct relationship. Jesus, as we know, also calls those to give their bodies to God through the mediation of a spouse. But he has claimed some for his own in a special way to be separated 
But as, a, as we'll see, in a complementary, mutual, upbuilding way. But the reality of our baptisms is the first fact that Jesus has claimed you. He wants you to give all. How can you give all? What may I do for you, Jesus? But our love can't evade commitment because it must, if it's love, take the form of being sealed with a life form, with a state of life, with a life state. Because love loves till the end and is sealed then with a specific self-gift. How did I come to this? Well, I don't know the reality of my baptism. <laughs> I'm sure all of you did. Um, throughout most of my life, uh, normal West Side nation, the um, living the life, Catholicism is in the blood, but um, it's in the environment, but as a box uh, in the drawer. It's, it doesn't define the culture. It's just a part of the culture. And in the same way, that was my life. My faith was a part of my life. Something for Sundays, long car trips, where our, moms, our, our mom made me pray the rosary. And we always debated how long was a long car trip where we had to pray the rosary. <laughs> Two hours? That's not that long. Pray before meals, but it's in this box of my life. And so then I can box other things in my life, and I won't go into my entire testimony, but at the end of my life, I have big plans. I'm going to Notre Dame. I think I'm some kind of hot shot. And as all these things are going well on the surface, I mean, the faith is boxed in here, certainly, but I, I experience this deep emptiness like these, that it wasn't enough for me to organize my life. And after experiencing this, my older sister, and my older sister at the time, now this is, I mean, it's a beautiful kind of uh, relation to the talk because she was just crazy. She loved Jesus, and she was on fire. She went to Francis, she went to one of those Franciscan conferences. Then she went to World Youth Day, met Mother Teresa's sisters, then would take me all the way across town through high school to go to this youth group. And it just was like not my scene. Uh, but that is where I met uh, Liz Stein, SPO missionary. That's right, Liz Stein. Yep. And uh, <laughs> I take that back. That's where I met a person. Uh, the... <laughs> Okay, um, and, and so I'm reluctantly going to youth group. Okay, I get it. Intellectually, it's fine. But then she graduates, goes to Franciscan, but then she's like, I think I need to try to be, a, I think I'm supposed to be a sister, like a Dominican nun. What? You know? <laughs> we never saw those. You know, like, what was that? And she, she experiences this call, she later discerns with them and discerns after a year that it's not her. She comes back, later gets married. They have a, a newborn. Uh, when that, that newborn was bro born on the day of my first mass, 
Two days later, I got to baptize little, little Miriam. So that's a little spiritual fatherhood. I should have saved that because that's kind of dramatic, and I just said it at the beginning. But um, yeah, beautiful. It's amazing. But so she's on fire. She's like, I want to give everything to Jesus. And she takes me on this retreat mission trip thing. And I'm like, this is terrible. Everyone here loves Jesus. They're on fire. I'm like the only one. Why am I here? And there's this adoration at night. Well, actually, first, the, this guy gives this testimony, this talk. I'll never forget it. I, I'm just going to give you a lot. But uh, he says, we all have heard this quote, uh, be the change you wish to see in the world. And that's a great quote, right? He's like, no, that quote is garbage. (laughs) Who is this? But he said, if your life is about you, it's going to fail. Your life must be about Jesus. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And it was like the first time I heard the gospel. I need Jesus. I was like, shoot. You know, he can't just be in this little box over here on Sundays. He has to be the center, and he wasn't. So I go to confession. I'm like, I messed up. And then I go to adoration, like, help me. And then I go to adoration again the next night, and they have this prayer team in the back. I don't want to go. Reluctantly, someone comes up, asks if they want to pray. I go back. I'm like, okay, I'll go back. And I'm praying there in the back of church. Like, I'm kind of loitering around, like, I don't know what's going on. And he's like, you want to pray? Sure. It's like, Jesus, the Eucharist is on the altar. He's like, let's kneel down. And then he starts praying Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God. And for the first time, I'm looking at Jesus being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, oh, what? Jesus is alive. (laughs) And he's here. For the first time, hopefully you've all had, like, wow. Jesus, like, he, he beat death. And he's in the room. And he's here. And I'm looking at... And then I'm just like, oh, shoot, do you, okay, I'll give you this, what, whatever you want, because in the presence of the holy, I'm just like, you can have this, you can have this, what do you want, Jesus? And then he's just like, Jacob, I just want you. <laughs> game over. It's just like, oh, that's my baptism, <laughs> okay, boom, get, yeah, just, I'm done, I'm done, that, like, the joy of the Lord, yeah, I mean, I, I think, like, just a naturally happy-go-lucky kid, but emptiness through a lot of high school, and now this joy, which like into my mind, into my heart, into the marrow of my bones, there, like knowing that Jesus is alive and receiving the Holy Spirit and just this like incredible self-surrendering joy. And then I'm praying, what is going on? As I say yes, like, okay, yep. I'm baptized here. I'm confirmed. Like you're, I'm yours, Jesus. And then I'm praying, and it's just like, Jesus, if you want me to be a priest, I'll be your priest. What? (laughs) (laughs) That can't be right. That like can't be right. I, I, I'm the. I still have like a vague. I don't know if I planted this memory. I think I might have thought about the priesthood when I was in third grade one time, but ever since then, no way, no way. I was thinking like what I could do with my life. Not like what Jesus wanted me to do, what he, the way in which I was supposed to give myself to him. And so in saying yes, I just surrender this prayer. And then like thinking about it, it wasn't like, no, I'll take that back. Like take those prayers back in. I don't want to, no, but it, when I just made that, and it was at first just a surrender. 
Like, okay, if you want it, yours. I'm yours. And I thought that that was so, it would have been so scary. But, and I don't know if it's because, like, I love roller coasters. I love being in danger. I love that <laughs> feeling that it's just like, yep, I'm all, like, buckle up. I'm in <laughs> for the ride. And so, so the, this, like, yeah, amazing summer of grace. I get to college, and then it's like, oh, college. And my life starts to, like, go in two different directions. Because I'm kind of following, fall, falling in love, going, going to daily mass, talking with people about Jesus, learning more in these highfalutin theology classes. Like, my life is, like, in one sense going to him, but then I realize a lot of my life, a lot of the missteps um, and the failures of my idolatrous heart in high school were then, I never actually totally dealt with them. Like the Lord gave me this season of grace just to live, but then it was like, oh, in, in college you just have freedom, you know, the, like just liberty, like do, do whatever. And so my life starts to split and, uh, you know, finding myself in this group of friends and then going back to maybe my old compartmentalized type of life where I still, it's a bigger box now, but I've still kind of kept him. You, you can't come here, Jesus, like this circle of my friends, this part of my life, and even maybe like my future, like I'll take that back. Like I'll take that back. And I'll remember I was doing a consecration to Our Lady and it was John Paul's like collection and it was the day, and there was a scripture passage in it, little reflection that he gave, he gave. But it was contemplating John 15. And I read that passage, uh, uh, apart from me you can do nothing. And I desire that you bear fruit, fruit that will remain. But if you do not bear fruit, you will be cast forth like a branch into the fire. And then I was like, okay, I got it. I'm supposed to be all yours. Like I, I, and so then it became this life of, all right, if I'm actually thinking, if I actually think that you have asked me to think about this, I have to go all in. None of this split life. I have to jump all in. And it was this great moment of conversion, this great grace through an encounter with the Word of God, encounter with the sacrament, encounter with the Word of God, to just bring me to Him in this readiness to do whatever he wanted. And so most of my discernment through college happened in friendship. I mean, I worked hard, studied hard. I actually liked to study, which was weird. And, and then I had these amazing friendships, this, this amazing uh, community where just to say, like, I, I, need, I have so much in my idolatrous wayward heart that needs to be healed. I think the Lord might be inviting me to this. So before I, before I make this step or that step, I'm just going to try to give Jesus everything and to receive from him everything, my studies, my work, my friendships, and this great time of the Lord entering into my heart. But then at the end, I was like, okay, I just, the knock just was, yep, He's still inviting. He's still inviting. And at some point, I just had to make a decision. Like, okay, I'm going to apply to seminary. I, I, can't, 
and I have this whole thing about whether, I, you know, should I be a Dominican? Should I be religious? Should I be? And I was just all this abstract thought. But I, I was just, what has the Lord placed on my heart? Not what possibilities has he planted in my head. And so this culture of friendship, this discussions, this, uh, these, just, ha- what do I actually want? Yeah, I, I love the West Side. I love my city. I'll die for my city. And I'll die for my diocese. Oh, that's good. I'll die for my diocese. I, I just want to plant myself somewhere and just die so that I can bear fruit. That's what I wanted. And it's like, yeah, if you want that, then you have to see if the Lord wants that as well. It's like, okay, I'll just go to diocesan, diocesan seminary. But I go there, shift of culture. The intellectual life is still part of seminary, but it's different. And I really love that. And so it was just, it was an interesting shift. Friendships, uh, I mean, are forged in a unique way in diocesan seminaries, but it was a shift. But also then more and more this possibility. Like the call to be a priest, to live celibately, was in the abstract. But now that decision is like every day right in your face. And so then during seminary, during my initial years of formation, it was like, oh, do you, do you really think you can live this way? Do you really think, like with all that stuff, like with all your messiness, do you think you can live this way? And so in seminary, I had this great grace of learning, of learning how to, uh, people call it different things. Uh, but probably the simplest is just learning the prayer of the heart. Um, lo- it, at the end of high school, into college, love communal worship, loving the mass, loving the devotional life. All this I needed. But then in face of this question of discernment, I needed this prayer of the heart. Sometimes it's called mental prayer. Sometimes it's called silent, meditative, contemplative Prayer, however you name it, that place where you can abide with the Lord in the silence of, of the heart. And for the first time, I was like, okay. And not for the first time. It's not like I never prayed in silence before. But that daily habit of silent prayer so that the Lord could reveal himself to me and myself to him. Lord, that I might know you and know myself, St. Augustine would pray. And this prayer of the heart was the only way in which I could come to grips. And I still remember. Because when you enter into this mysterious ocean of your interior life, you'll, you will be, you're probably looking at me like, Father, we know. I've been surfing those waves for decades. But the, it was new to me, and so I'm sharing it with you, okay? Um, when you go into this ocean, you, just the amount of things that come into your mind. When I'm praying, why does this keep coming up? Why does that wound, why does that relationship, why does that thing from childhood, all these things come up. And what is beautiful, especially about thinking of like the messiness of my past life and this time of um, intentional discernment in seminary was the gift of the Lord to say, here, You have experienced imperfect love in this way, in this way, 
in this way. And I've drawn you to this place of discernment so that you can heal this and this and this. Of, of course, so, sometimes it's these thoughts, these memories are spoken of as distractions. And if we're not ready, they, they can just distract us from the Lord. But at some point, those distractions, those wounds, those past memories become those points in which you can ask the Lord to heal and springboard into the greater depths of the divine intimacy, of the greater depths of divine love. And so the overall process of discernment, um, right, it's not in the way, it's on the way. It's not in the way, it's on the way. And it's already, it's not as if it's discernment is something we have to check and get over. It's not something that it's like, now I have to like think about my life and make a decision and decisions are hard. No, it's like the Lord wants to heal your heart in whatever way that he might be proposing to you so that you can love fully in the way that he asks. Because Jesus, we want to give everything to you. We want to give everything to you and we don't want our wayward, idolatrous hearts to be bound by any imperfect loves. Just burn those up, Jesus. Right now we give you permission to burn those up in us. Why? Not so that we all then become priests, religious. Everyone here must. No, it, except if you're already locked in. Some of us made it out. No, no, no. This is, this is so that so that however the Lord calls you, you might be free in saying yes. So that marriage is a beautiful call of actually saying yes to someone and not running away from a life of loneliness. Or that the single life, consecrated life, priesthood is actually saying, yes, Lord Jesus, here I am, instead of saying, oh, smelly diapers. You know, it's like, no, no, no. We're in our vocations, we're running to someone. We're not running away from things. But in order to run to someone, we have to have free hearts. And so the discernment of this, and Ignatius talks about it in his spiritual exercises, when he sets these exercises out so that we can discern our state of life, what is the first principle? Basically, it's like, whatever you want, Jesus. But we, how can we say that unless we have a free heart? So that there's a couple theological points that are important to come across like where does this where does this call uh happen where where does Jesus talk about it um because it all begins with Jesus first of all Jesus uh, as I like to remind people he was a celibate man okay and so was Saint Paul the greatest apostle missionary um they were and so we'll talk about the different motivations for celibacy but uh, it's amazing what conversations dresses will get you into. And especially, especially with our Protestant brothers and sisters who find it so strange, who find it's, this call so strange, the virginity is so strange. And my friend was just like, yeah, just, I just walk them through Matthew 19. Like, what's that all about? <laughs> what is it all about? That's... Jesus has the, yeah, this would be helpful. I, uh, I, I didn't 
bring my normal Bible. This is my interlineary Greek Bible, so it's much harder to find the actual English here. (laughs) But there's a dispute. (laughs) There's a dispute with the Sadducees about marriage. And at the end of it, there's this very strange comment because Jesus forbids divorce because the life state of marriage is total because it's love till death. Jesus clarifies that. And then his apostles like, she, what? It's all, he says, his disciples say unto him, if the case of the man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. It is not good to marry. If this is how it is, can anyone be married? Jesus says, whoa, hold your horses there, boys. He says, there are some, and this is, this is, it's a very strange passage. All men cannot receive this saying, but for those who can receive it, receive it. So if this saying is not for you, just plug up the ears, okay? The, for some, there are some eunuchs which were born from their mother's womb. And there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men. And there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. Uh, Well, I don't know if you know what a eunuch is. (laughs) A eunuch is a man who has either been born, made, or chooses to become incapable of reproducing. And he uses this very strange language. What is this? And, I mean, a whole talk could be given about, I mean, John Paul II, he gave about, 20 Wednesday audiences to talking about this very passage, about what this means. But Jesus is speaking about how there are some in his kingdom who, are, who choose to forego the possibility of marriage and physical children in order, he just says, for the, king, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. For the sake of heaven's kingdom, some give this up. It's probably most easy to think about St. Paul. St. Paul who in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says, I wish that all would be unmarried like me so that, we might, so that you might be more free to proclaim the gospel. So that in an obvious sense, right, I live in Urbana, Ohio. That's what I'm talking about. Go Urbana. Uh, if you don't know where it is, uh, look it up. Um, I live in Urbana, Ohio, but I could just drive, even though I was late, I apologize, I could just drive down 29 and 70 and get lost in Columbus and then find it because I'm just, I'm free. Like, if I don't have it, something on the schedule, here I am. Like, I would talk to you about celibacy all night long, <laughs> gladly. It is one of my loves to talk about how Jesus is calling me to love him. And so there's this objective fact that St. Paul talks about in his letter to the Corinthians. Like, it's, it sets you in an objective benefit to be single for my sake. Now, we get into the complicated question because although it might be objectively beneficial, when we're dealing with our vocations, it's not about objectivity. It's not about God has this report card and celibacy is an A, marriage is a B, they both pass, but you got, no, no. 
Your call is to love Jesus as he wants you to love him. And so your subjective perfection consists in how well you respond to him. But why for heaven's sake? For heaven's sake. Because it has this, in in the first, in one way, it has the benefit of being spiritually fruitful. But another way in which we can reflect on our vocation, and if I had time with you, which I do not, I would tie it into explicitly the call of poverty, chastity, and obedience. But the structure of our vocation to be a son, daughter, husband, wife, father, mother. In the, pri- in the primacy of our vocation begins not with what we can do for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, what we can do for the sake of our family as fathers, as mothers. And not even, not even first as what, who we are as husbands and wives, but actually the prime the primacy of our vocations begins as son-daughter. And this is the reality of our baptism. You need to know that Jesus claimed you totally and that the Father loves you. This is the foundation. But then, receiving this love, how am I called to give this love? And so the universal call to holiness, which we all have, begins in the fact that we have been made sons and daughters of the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the root of our vocation, our baptism. Become a saint, become holy, love perfectly, however you want to frame it. That's what we all share together. But that love that was poured into our hearts, then Jesus says, okay, follow me in a specific way. And that is the call, the love you have received, now share it. Now give it. I have given my life to you, now you give your life to something concrete. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a grain of wheat. Right? Just if we flitter around, we actually have to become planted. We have to give. We have to die. We know a husband and a wife how that works. And it and it's clear God wrote it in our nature. We have belly buttons. We are sons and daughters. I hope we have belly buttons here. <laughs> the Uh, it's written in us and then we are in in the natural order called then to become husbands and wives. But within this physical order, which the Lord through grace has renewed and transformed as capable not only of fulfilling nature but actually becoming a way of sanctifying grace. But that's not my talk. That's not my talk. My talk instead is the way in which Jesus takes this natural order and then also creates a spiritual order within it. So that that love which has been poured into our hearts can be given in a real but spiritual way. That we can become spiritual husbands and wives of a spiritual love. And just because it's spiritual, I mean, the the Lord is the spirit. Okay, that spiritual doesn't mean less real. The way it takes place for women often is experiencing the love as a bride of Christ. To, for Jesus to claim all of their lives in that specific way. Of course, he's already claimed us to be part of the one bride, the church. But he's also called some to be icons of that bride, of that ecclesial and eschatological bride of the church. And as Jesus says in Mark chapter 12, that's our destiny. Our destiny is to live that life because in heaven, 
There is neither marriage nor are those given in marriage. Because the love of heaven, that's right, come on, come on. The love of heaven is so direct, so real, that it doesn't mean the loves of earth will be gone, but they will be perfected in the primacy of God's love for each and every human soul united in the communion of saints. Also not my talk though. The, my talk, and then men often experience this, though each, each man is specific, and religious brothers, they're beautiful witness of experiencing, like St. John of the Cross, even their own hearts as brides. Now, sometimes that's very hard to understand. Um, But especially in the priesthood, but even brothers as well, that call, like John the Baptist, to be a friend of the bridegroom. And to be that, that, to be, to be a friend of the bridegroom like John, to point everyone to the one bridegroom. But in that sense, And the more transparent and the more we decrease and die, the more actually we share in that very identity of the bridegroom and are called to the love of being for the church, of dying to the world for the church. And so that's, I remember that older sister, Emma, when my, I had a a cousin who's ordained a priest. And when he was ordained, uh, she went around and said, uh, Father Jeremy just got married to you and you and you and you because the priest is the, 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 a bride, an icon of the bridegroom of the church. And so however this love is experienced, that love which is primary in our baptism is called to be made flesh either in the natural order which grace takes up and elevates into its divine life in the call to marriage or it's called in the spiritual order to give itself concretely to a specific diocese. I'm in the wrong one right now. Um, To a specific order, a religious way of life, so that it can take shape. But then this call of, okay, God has given me love. I want to give Him love. How can I do it, Lord? He places on some, not to all, but to some. And there are beautiful instances of the Gospel where He... For some reason, come on, follow me. And to others, Lord, can I follow you? He says, no, you go back home. Go back home and proclaim to your family and your friends. Within the Gospel, Jesus Himself recognizes this twofold division of the states of life. Why? So that, we need, so that each can be dependent on the other. So that each can in their own way symbolize to the other the fullness which we will only attain in the kingdom. But this call, son, husband, then father, daughter, wife, then mother. Because our spiritual vocations, as we kind of began with, the most obvious sign that the Lord has willed some to be consecrated to Himself entirely in their bodies. Why? So that they can be then fruitful in bearing life for the mission. Fruitful in a unique way. But of course, this spiritual dynamism is present in all of us. But in a sense, it's embodied, incarnated in a radical way in the life state of virginity, celibacy, of not only singleness as a way station, but actually then saying, okay, it is here that I'm going to die. 
here that I'm going to be planted. But how do we know if that's our call? The only way to know if that's the call is to go to that place, to go to that inner room, the place which Jesus has already claimed, although we have tried to take it back so many times. The place which is wounded, beaten down, tied to the world in all kinds of ways, to go there with the Lord Jesus and to ask Him, Jesus, burn up everything else. And what do you want me to do? You've claimed me. How can I give myself to you? To some, even to some of you here maybe, He's asked you, come in this radical way and follow me. To others, I, to others, we all should have that disposition. Like, can I, can I give everything to you? All my stuff, all my body, all my even freedom of the will, can I give it all to you? And he says, thank you. I want you to be planted here. Thank you. He receives that sacrifice. He calls us all to that universal sacrifice of holiness, of love, of that oblation, which in a unique way is given to us in Mother Teresa, in those sisters, in priests who live their lives well, in brothers who are made free for apostolic mission. But this same way that this sign given of the primacy of God, of the primacy of our destiny for eternity, is also then mirrored in spouses. And we look to spouses to see what kind of concrete love it must take. Because how easy someone consecrated to celibacy, could live as a bachelor, could live floating in this single life. Unless he looked at moms and dads who had bags under their eyes because of crying children, who changed diapers, who worked long shifts. Like We need each other to see that our vocations are about the love of God and they're meant to take that flesh. But that's not my talk. My talk <laughs> instead. So if you feel a little tug in your heart. Maybe, maybe, I'm going to try to make eye contact with as many people as possible. Not. <laughs> I'm not manipulative. I'm not manipulative. No, it's not manipulative because it's just like, whatever Jesus wants, yes. And whatever he wants, yes. And there's no... <laughs> yep. Whatever he wants. And, and that's the life of joy. And so there's so much tenderness. Our fears come out. Our wounds come out when these questions come out. What an invitation of the Lord, no matter where he ends up, to say that I, it, if you want, take this time with me so that I can reveal the deepest parts of your hearts and heal them. And so then, however you're called, so that you can utter that yes with the depths of your being. Whether it's that unique way which looks like a, a renunciation but really is the greater form of a yes or the form which looks like a simple thing which has been happening from the beginning of time but really is imaging the bridegroom and the bride of the church. However it is, if you feel the Lord may be inviting you into this time to be intentional about it, to not just float along the surface of discernment but go out into the deep. But it's scary out there, you know? It's scary. You, your ship might turn over. You're, all these things might come, like waves crashing, things you see in the deep. I, 
Who wants to look at that? But the promise is that Jesus is with you, and if you go there, He's going to bear fruit in your life for whatever it is. So some concrete steps. You can like, okay, if I might feel this, this call, this prompting, this little nudge to say, maybe, maybe this is for you. Well, the only way you're going to know is if you actually seriously consider it. From just a mental consideration to consideration of the heart. So to, eat, to commit a time. I mean, the Lord gives us Lent. He gives us specific times where He takes us away. Kind of draw away for a little while so that I can speak to you. You're free to offer to God however long of a time you think He might be asking. To say, for this time, I'm not going to enter into any relationships. Because maybe I'm actually not even ready for relationships because I find myself in relationships a victim of my own past. Maybe I'm not even ready for that because I haven't attained that Christian maturity which responds properly to love. And so maybe I just take this time away to live my baptism well. To live in friendship well. And then, okay, maybe then I say, okay, here, here's some time, Lord, where I actually pray that this might be what you're asking me. And to, to let that resound and let its fears, let all of that which comes up in the deep, just really enter into that. Oh, I prayed two days thinking that I might be a priest and I was frightened out of my mind. I'm never doing that again. Right? To stick with it. Ignatius, you can discern the movement of the Spirit only after a, after a long time. Because our hearts, more torturous than all else is the human heart, says the Lord to the prophet Jeremiah. Like, we need that time to discern. And if, if you hear, after the time that you've given him, if you think that this might be for you, that no, you actually go, go and... Ask that girl on a date because I want you to be sanctified in going out of your comfort zone to commit your life in this way to this, to this form of life. Or if he's like, okay, keep following me. And you take the next step and you offer the next step. But whatever it is, to be intentional and concrete and to take that time of discernment in its long stretches because our hearts can go like this. But the Lord, his call is steady. So to hear that over a time would be some advice in community, friendship, Christian maturity, and living your baptism. Mentors, to look, at, to look at good images of the vocations, to find good married couples, to find good priests, good sisters, good brothers, because we discern based on the positive, not the negative. We run to love, not away from fear. Okay, we... So let your discernment be a discernment of the heart and not of the head. Let it be a long space where you've opened up your heart to listening to him. And then ask, Jesus, how is it that you want me to live my baptism? He's calling you all to radical holiness. To be willing to give all. And what he asks you all to be at the service. Like if you choose to be married, still all of your stuff is to be at the service of God. If you, choose to, if you choose to be a priest, you still get to own stuff. <laughs> but you're still supposed to, you're called to simplicity, right? We're all called to the perfection of the spirit of the evangelical councils, but how is he asking you? I wish I could just tell you. No, I don't. 
Because the process of discernment, it, thank you. (laughs) Because precisely this, we we don't go into discernment thinking like, I got to dig up this secret of my life state. I can't find it. Dig harder. No, the Lord calls you into discernment to heal your heart and to respond in freedom to his voice. Um, where, Where do you want me to go? And I'll go. How do you want me to love? I'll love. Everything I own, my entire body, my, all my will, Jesus, it's yours. Take and receive it. Take and receive all my memory, my understanding, my entire will. All that I have, all that I possess, it is yours, Jesus. Let this be our prayer, that we might live our baptisms as the Lord Jesus wants to. And if he's calling us in that unique way to be set aside for the service of his kingdom, to reflect the heavenly nature of his kingdom to this pilgrim world, then so be it, Jesus. Lead me on. And if it's not, let it not be out of fear, but actually because it's what Jesus wants. It's what Jesus wants. Oh, I I can't be celibate. I can't be a virgin because that's too scary. Oh, so is, is your... Is your wife, is your husband, they're like, oh, they're just like second place then. It's just like, I couldn't do that, then I'm doing this. No, we have to be ready to give all so that when we live our vocation, it's out of love. It's out of this deep sense of self-gift. Man, the only creature on earth who God has willed for himself cannot find himself except through a sincere gift of himself. I didn't write that. Carol Votiwa probably wrote that in Gaudium et Spes, document from the Second Vatican Council. <laughs> but it's true. God has given you everything. Ask him what he wants to give you, and then be intentional about following it. Commit a time to it. Offer that sacrifice, that place where the Lord can speak to your heart. And not just to check it off, okay, Yep, thank goodness I'm not a priest. They're, they talk way too long. Thank, thank goodness I'm not, I don't have to wear funky clothes as a sister. Thank goodness. No, the time of discernment is a time to heal the heart, to be ready to give all to him. So let's just ask for an outpouring of the renewal of our baptisms, our confirmations, and that however Jesus wants us to love him, we might just say, uh-huh. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come Holy Spirit, come upon us in your gentle, sweet power. Descend upon us as you descended upon that lowly virgin, the virgin who became the mother of Jesus, the mother of God. Holy Spirit, come upon us like you came upon the apostles at Pentecost. And fill our hearts, heal them, burn away all that which is not of you. Lead us into the depths of the love which you have designed for us. Give us boldness, courage, and peace as we go out into the depths. If you are calling us to virginity, celibacy, for your sake, Holy Spirit, let us say yes. If you're calling us to married life, let us say yes. Because all we want is you. 
And all we want is what you want. Everything we have is yours. Everything we are is yours. Everything in the deepest depths of our soul is yours. We give it all to you, Jesus. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Father and Son and Holy Spirit.